Hey, it's Gabe. I want to recommend a podcast I think you'll enjoy called What Could Go Right. On What Could Go Right, the hosts, Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varva-Lucas, sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues. They look back at how far society has come and look forward to what it will take to achieve a brighter future. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, listen to What Could Go Right wherever you get your podcasts. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that proves there's more than one way to make history. I'm Gabe Lusier, and in this episode, we're talking about the church scandal that rocked a sleepy New England town to its core, the time when a pastor was booted from his pulpit for baptizing a dog and thanking the Lord for salad. The day was February 27, 1922. The Boston Presbytery voted to remove Reverend Edwin Curtis from his church after learning he had baptized a dog. For the past year, Curtis had served as the provisional pastor at the First Presbyterian Church in Brookline, Massachusetts. He'd been well-received by the majority of his congregation, which was reportedly about 500 members strong. But not everyone was a fan of the new pastor, including some of the church elders who made up the Presbytery of Boston. That governing body had final say on whether or not to install Curtis as Brookline's permanent pastor, and in the months leading up to its decision, Curtis's opponents presented some wild evidence for why he shouldn't get the job. Reverend Edwin Curtis and his wife came to the United States from England in early 1921. They settled in Brookline, and not long after, Curtis learned that the pastor of the local Presbyterian church had just resigned. The congregation had already considered five ministerial candidates for the vacancy, but in the end, they couldn't agree on any of them and decided to keep looking. Curtis was part of the second batch of candidates. He met with churchgoers, spoke at a prayer meeting, and for his final test, delivered a full sermon at the Sunday service. His strong performance set him apart from the other candidates, and in late February of that year, the congregation voted to extend a call to Reverend Curtis to become their new pastor. However, there was a catch. 
According to the polity of the Presbyterian Church, Curtis couldn't be confirmed as the permanent pastor until he had completed one year of probation. At the end of that period, the decision on whether or not to install him would be voted on by the Presbytery of Boston. The Presbytery consisted of all the regularly installed pastors of all the Presbyterian churches within the greater Boston area, plus one elder from each church. For the Presbytery, probation was a routine measure when considering any candidate who was either foreign-born or who was not already a Presbyterian minister. Edwin Curtis fell into both of those categories. In addition to being a citizen of Great Britain, he was also a Congregationalist, a different denomination of Protestantism with somewhat different beliefs than Presbyterians. Recognizing his position, Curtis agreed to serve as acting pastor for a probationary period of one year. By all accounts, the interim pastor acquitted himself well in his first few months on the job, but then, in late spring, about 60 or so members of the church began to complain that they didn't want Curtis after all, and that the search for a new pastor should be started up again. There weren't any specific charges against Curtis at first, just the vague suggestion that someone else might be a better fit. Gradually, though, the case against him began to take form, and it was a decidedly strange one. First, there was the complaint leveled by Mrs. Gertrude Harvey, who had hosted Reverend Curtis and his wife for more than a month while they found their footing in Brookline. According to her, Curtis delivered several cheeky mealtime blessings during his stay, two of which bordered on sacrilege in her mind. As she recounted in a 1922 issue of The American Weekly, quote, Mr. Curtis boarded with me for five weeks, and he never but twice said a blessing. One evening, we had salad with our dinner. Mr. Curtis raised his eyes to heaven, and clasping his hands, he prayed. Oh, Lord, we thank thee for this salad, he said fervently. Mrs. Curtis, his wife, thought it was funny, but she knew it was improper. Then they both laughed. A queer idea of a joke, picking out one little salad for a blessing, and not thanking God for the rest of my good meal. And another time, he said, Oh Lord, we thank thee for the fried potatoes. It sounds like a feeble accusation on its face, and a petty one at that, but the story raised more than a few eyebrows among hardline members of the church. After all, it would be unbecoming of a pastor to use prayer to poke fun at a meal served by a host. It may not have been a dismissible offense on its own, though, so that's where Mrs. Melbourne Porter of Wellesley, Massachusetts came in. She offered a deeply troubling account in the same issue of the American Weekly about the time Reverend Curtis performed an unsolicited baptism on her dog Buster. As Mrs. Porter related, quote, I remember the day very well that Mr. Curtis baptized Buster, the poor dog. He didn't know what to do. But Mr. Curtis considered it a great joke. What's the pup's name, Mrs. Porter, he asked me. Buster, I told him. He's a fine dog, Mr. Curtis remarked, and grasping a glass of water and dipping his fingers in it, he sprinkled the dog and said, Buster Porter, I baptize thee a full-fledged Presbyterian. I was too horrified to speak, Mrs. Porter continued, for Buster is a very nice little dog, but he's no church member. It's one thing to be a Presbyterian yourself, but it's another thing to have your dog baptized into your faith. Sacrilegious, I call it. 
So I told the elders of the church about it, and they requested me to put it all down in writing and to swear to it. Ridiculous conduct, they said it was, for a minister going around baptizing dogs. Both Mrs. Porter and Mrs. Harvey reported their concerns to the Boston Presbytery, establishing a pattern of behavior which the elders felt was threatening to the, quote, dignity, authority, and honor of the church. And so, on February 27th, 1922, the members of the Presbytery gathered in session and voted to depose Reverend Curtis. Even though he had completed his customary probation and had been embraced by the vast majority of his congregation, he would not be allowed to continue as the pastor of the Brookline Church. The elders later defended their unpopular decision, saying, quote, The fitness of a minister depends upon his prudence, gravity, and godly conversation. They added that the question of Curtis's removal amounted to the choice between, quote, law and order, or anarchy. The Reverend wasn't all that surprised when the verdict came down. For the past several months, he'd heard rumors of complaints about baptizing the dog and thanking the Lord for salad and French fried potatoes. He originally thought it would all blow over, but then petitions calling for his removal began to circulate. And while they hadn't garnered many signatures, he knew those signs of unrest within the church would be perfect ammunition for the presbytery. When the decision to dismiss him was formally announced, Curtis finally broke his silence on the matter. He let loose on his accusers and the presbytery, claiming they had acted in bad faith and had set themselves against him from the beginning. He called them, quote, malicious-minded women, and went on to say, They've made a tempest in a teapot, a mountain from a molehill. The baptism was a joke, and so were the blessings. Yet, after all, isn't it perfectly ethical and religious to thank the Lord for any particular dish instead of for the whole meal? Can't a minister thank God for anything that's good? I came to Boston from England 14 months ago, and the elders put me on a year's probation. Then they set about to find a lever with which to oust me. Mrs. Porter and Mrs. Harvey supplied the demand. For the most part, the Brookline congregation stood by Reverend Curtis, believing the pastor had been undermined by a few bad actors. They were so loyal to him, in fact, that even though the Presbytery had ordered the church to cut all ties with Curtis by April 1st, they kept him on anyway. That act of church rebellion was made official on April 12th, during a congregational meeting. Attendees voted to amend the Brookline Presbyterian Church's bylaws, inserting a new article that effectively gave them the power to elect their own pastor. From then on, the church's pastor would be elected annually by the congregation to serve for a term of one year. The first vote was held at that same meeting, and wouldn't you know it, Reverend Edwin Curtis won handily. News of the amendment, and of Curtis's election, was shared with the Boston Presbytery. While members didn't appreciate the challenge to their authority, the body ultimately decided not to take action for fear of alienating the Brookline Church and potentially causing a schism. Nonetheless, a minority of the church members just couldn't let it go. For the rest of the year, they tried every trick they could to rid themselves of Reverend Curtis. They argued that the credentials he had first presented were not signed in ink but on a typewriter and were therefore invalid. When that didn't work, they started spreading rumors that Curtis wasn't who he had claimed to be, 
and that he hadn't really been an evangelical minister back in England. Finally, in a last-ditch effort, those in favor of Curtis's removal filed a bill in equity with the Massachusetts Supreme Court. The bill was a formal legal request, asking the court to take action against Reverend Curtis and prevent him from staying on as pastor. The church members who wrote it argued that Curtis was illegally using the church and its property because the Boston Presbytery had declined to retain him as pastor. Of course, as the court eventually noted, the Presbytery had refused to do anything about it, and the majority of the church supported keeping the pastor. In light of that, the court saw no reason to interfere in a religious dispute and ultimately dismissed the bill in early 1923. At that point, Reverend Curtis was still the acting pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Brookline. His historical trail goes cold after that, but I like to imagine he felt emboldened by his victory and started baptizing every pet he could get his hands on. Then, at the next annual meeting, the congregation realized they were wrong after all and voted in somebody else. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. I'm Gabe Lussier, and hopefully, you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. I'd especially like to hear what kind of potato dish you're thankful for. There really is no wrong answer. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.